Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Wednesday night, June 26th, 2019, as the Chicago White Sox wrapped up their series in Boston with a dramatic victory. Thanks to Jose Abreu's ninth inning home run. But this was not a good series for the White Sox in many ways. But most concerning is injuries. Again, we're talking about injuries. This time, it is Tim Anderson who is being reported and having a high ankle sprain with an unknown timeline of recovery. And in his first at-bat of the day against Chris Sale, Yoan Mikata was hit in the kneecap on a slider and he now has a right knee contusion and he's day to day. So the shortstop and third base side of the infield for the White Sox currently is a bit murky uh, as far as health status uh, in the upcoming games. And with the franchise already dealing with so many injuries that has impacted the depth in the 25 man roster. And of course, throughout the farm system, who is going to be handling shortstop duties while Anderson is on the mend. We'll discuss that topic, plus preview the upcoming series at home against the Minnesota Twins, who are now projected to win the American League Central with 98 wins, according to Zips. Joining me to break down this series against the Red Sox and try to sort out all this injury mess is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim here we go again. Stomach tied in knots about an injury to a key White Sox player. 
This time, it's Sim Anderson. And when he goes on the injured list, and I don't think that's been official quite yet, but it appears that he's going to be on the injured list as he's in a walking boot at the moment, there is a good chance we may not see him on the field until after the All-Star game. Is the injury to Anderson the most impactful to the White Sox? In terms of all season or like, how do you mean exactly? Because I mean, Eloy Jimenez's ankle sprain was probably as scary, I think. Um, the way he ran the fence and the way he uh, his uh, leg kind of collapsed on itself, it had similar traits. And he, he was able to make it back with, uh, I guess, a minimal amount of time missed compared to other um, you know, other ankle sprains. So I guess I would say in that sense, uh, I would put it on the level of that right now. He's walking around in the boots. He's going to go on the injured list, but we don't really know exactly what the timetable is yet. So I guess I would put it as a little bit worse than that, just because I expected Jimenez to miss a month and he only missed, I think three weeks. So I would say maybe a little bit worse than that. Out of all the position players looking at impact, with Anderson being hurt, like if Anderson has an injury, is that the most impacting to the White Sox? I think maybe at this point in, the career, in their careers, I think it would be either Anderson or Moncada, just because they're starting to figure it out. Um, Anderson had the big April. He had somewhat of a down May, and now I think he's stabilizing as somebody with a pretty good hit tool. Uh, the play discipline isn't there. The defense comes and goes, especially on on more routine plays. I think when he's when he's uh, going after something, I think he gets his body aligned better and, and makes plays on the edges of his range better. But we're starting to see the more complete picture of his offense, at least. And I think to interrupt that at this time would be you know pretty harmful. And I think the same thing could be said for Moncada with you know getting production from both sides of the plates. Um, it, it seems like his game is coming together as well. So I think, you know, you, you put both of those guys together and, you know, that's pretty troubling. And I think, you know, with Makata, he took a uh, slider on the kneecap. And I think with something like that, I'm, I'm hoping it's not a fracture or anything. I think it's more just a bruise and, and uh, um, you know, just being the knee and, and being a pretty sensitive part of the body. And uh, unfortunately for Makata being, you know, immediately needed running the bases and such. I think I'm hoping that's like a one or two game thing, not not requiring an injured list stint. Yeah, just put some ice on it, sleep on it. Hopefully, after you sleep on it, it doesn't get any worse, right? I don't know if you've ever like fallen on your knee directly on the ground. That is the worst feeling in the world. I can't imagine having a Chris Sale slider out of all pitches directly hit you in the kneecap. I wonder if that's the same type of feeling. And when I do it, I feel like you need to amputate my leg. Uh, <laughs> so I'm impressed that he got from first to third on uh, Jose Abreu's double. Yeah, no, I've, I've had that happen before. I remember uh, playing uh, Ultimate Frisbee and getting legs tangled up in both my knees oh. hitting the asphalt because we were not <laughs> playing on grass. We were playing in a parking lot. And yeah, that was uh, terrible. So it, I, I don't, uh, when it comes to knees and when it comes to, you know, the immediate pain shown by a player, if it's something directly on the kneecap or right under it with the nerve, I, I can see that disabling a player. And I do wonder, you know, maybe if it were later in the game and Charlie Tillerson were already out and, you know, they had to lose their DH or were threatened with losing their DH, 
Yeah, I wonder if it's something he might have played through, but given that it was early in the game and Yolmer Sanchez was healthy enough to play, you know, I wonder if he thought that, uh, you know, maybe it was something that wasn't worth pushing through and and not playing it less than, you know, maybe even 75%. But, you know, given the way the rest of the game unfolded, um, you know, he, didn't, he couldn't know that Charlie Tilson was going to be throwing up. So, uh, yeah, it was just a mess all over. Yeah, back to Tim Anderson. For the season, with him now going to the injured list, uh, he's hitting 317 with a 342 on base percentage, slugging 491, and using Fangraph's war, he's at 1.8 for the season. Since May 1st, after his big April, Anderson's hitting 286 with a 313 on base percentage, slugging 423. I think those numbers are closer to expectations prior to the season with a 96 weighted runs created plus, and he's only been worth half a war uh, since May 1st. So obviously regression has set in, but Tim Anderson is still a key cog to this White Sox team, both offensively and defensively. And it now poses the question, who is the number one option, Jim, to play shortstop while Tim Anderson is out? Well, I wrote about it on, uh, you know, in, in the morning on, on Wednesday, if you're listening tomorrow or this morning, if you're listening live. Um, and, and, you know, there are three options. They can cover it. So, you know, they can even cover it maybe four. You know, right now with on, on the current roster, they have Larry Garcia. They have uh, Jose Rondon and they have Yomer Sanchez. All can play short. I'd probably say in that order, Garcia, Rondon, Sanchez, in terms of who you want out there. Um and with Rondon, you know, he's having an interesting month in that he's not hitting for anything, but he's drawing walks, and he's never done that before. He was striking out a ton. He wasn't walking the first two months. This time around, the walks and strikeouts are even, and in both cases, better. You know, he's improved his strikeout rate. He's improved his walk rate. He drew a walk against uh, Chris Sale. So, uh, you know, that's the bats are better. He seems calmer and not trying to do too much. And I wouldn't mind exploring that a little bit. I know he had the uh, defensive miscue late in the game throwing to the plate, but I wouldn't mind seeing him, you know, play a good solid week or two and and just better understanding what's going on with his game because it's been up and down and, and, and power outbursts and power outages. And, yeah, I think he's still interesting enough to play him. And he's also, you know, he's on the fringes of the 40-man roster. Danny Mendick, he's the option in AAA and, and worthy of a look at some point this season. He's also, uh, he'll need to be on the 40-man roster after the season because I think he's a good choice to be uh, picked uh, in the Rule 5 draft. And I think if you have both those guys on the roster and you don't know about either of them, then I think that's a little bit of 40-man mismanagement. So I think, you know, if Rondon doesn't look good and you give him a couple weeks, you know, Tim Anderson comes back and then you turn your attention towards Mendick later in the season... You know, that's fine if uh, you know, if, if Mendick either has an injury or, or his uh, production bottoms out or you know, he doesn't do anything at the end of the year. And then you think Rondon's worth keeping over him. I can see that. But I think if you go into the situation where you really haven't played any of them regularly enough to know, uh, you know, which one has the better future, then I think, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a wasted opportunity in what's hopefully the last true rebuilding season that the White Sox are going through. I'd give Jose Rendon two weeks, but if his last 28, if the next two weeks, Jim, are anything like his last 28 games, I think the White Sox need to DFA him because in his last 28 games, he's batting 155 with a 231 on base percentage, slugging 169 with a weighted runs creative plus of 13. And he's been almost worth negative one war. I mean, he's been playing pretty poorly, but yeah. again, 
as you mentioned, the play is sporadic. So what happens if you allow him to play all the games up to the All-Star break? The three games against the Twins, the three games against the Tigers, and the two games against the Cubs. Does he get rejuvenated? Does it create some type of spark? Does he get into a rhythm? Because what plan they currently have for him now is not helping him, and clearly he's not helping the White Sox. Yeah, I think, you know, if he were having the same, you know, if his June looked like his May, I think the batting averages are about the same, like in the 120s. Um, They've been pretty terrible. But when you look at uh, just the walks and strikeouts and just, you know, looking at him playing, you know, hitting, you know, standing in the plate, I think he's showing a lot more discipline. He's being more selective. The contact isn't quite loud enough, but, you know, there's some improvement there. And I think it's worth exploring just because there are three months in the season. And and I don't think a DFA at this point would be, I wouldn't say I would DFA him in season just because the White Sox have had injuries and issues. And, uh, you know, should they somehow need another middle infielder, whether Larry gets hit or, or hurts or Anderson, you know, doesn't come back immediately or Mancada has some sort of issue, then, you know, you're talking about Alcides Escobar and Ryan Goins and these guys that have massive fan clubs all of a sudden <laughs> in Charlotte, even though they haven't produced, you know, uh, anything worthwhile in their last few years in the majors. But uh, I think he's worth keeping around for the end of the season. But then I think when you evaluate the 40-man roster afterwards and you start shuffling guys based on who needs protection, who's likely to be, uh, you know, maybe the, the best chance of sneaking through waivers, then I think you consider Rondon at that point. But I think given how thin the middle infield is right now, I think it's worth keeping everybody uh, just in, until uh, September when the rosters expand. All right, so if Rick Renteria decides Lurie Garcia is going to play shortstop, who's playing center field? Probably right now the mix that they have with... Uh, Ryan Cordell and and uh, John Jay and Charlie Tilson. Hopefully Jay gets enough confidence with his hip and, and legs that he's able to get out there. I think right now they've been easing him back into outfield action between DH and right field and trying to make sure that he doesn't tax it too much. But I think at some point you'll see him go out there in center. And, and that's why I don't mind seeing, you know, Ron Doan getting more of the playing time just because, uh, you know, it would help Larry get back out there. And I think he is right now the best center fielder they have. Yes. When you look at the defensive metrics, even even like in this current version where he's not running all that well, uh, still you know, maybe Cordell is his equal. But I think if you have Cordell against like a tough righty, I think the offense defense trade off between uh, Larry and uh, Cordell against tough righty. I think I'd rather have Larry out there. So when you look at fan graphs at every single defensive metric, this this is what blew me away, Jim. Charlie Tilson beats Ryan Cordell in every defensive metric in center field. Uh, I think the samples are small enough to where I wouldn't trust either one. I would say maybe there, there isn't that much of a difference. So I guess you could throw Tilson out there against uh, righties, uh, Cordell against uh, lefties, you know, have somewhat of a platoon going, but um, you know, based on Tilson, you know, visually, he's just a lot clumsier than everybody else in the White Sox outfield. Oh, he gets caught flat footed all the yeah, time. Flat-footed yeah. Flat footed and, and uh, just, uh, you know, you know, when he's trying to charge grounders, just for whatever reason, um, I would maybe say he's clumsier than Eloy. I mean, Eloy has different problems when it comes to his approach and how he rounds off routes. But I think just when it comes to that kind of coordination and getting all body parts in line, it's almost like they're 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 scarily the same. Yeah, I, it was just it just blew me away because I thought Ryan Cordell would be better in center field than Charlie Tilson. Neither of them, by the way, listeners, are good in center field based on their defensive metrics. 
But that that was one that surprised me. I was expecting Ryan Cordell to have better numbers, uh, even with a small sample size, uh, than Charlie Tilson. I, I will say that Tilson looks better in center than a corner, from what I've seen. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good for him. Uh, by the way, offensively for both since May 1st in 36 games, Ryan Cordell only hitting 211 with a 253 on base percentage, slugging 278. That's a 42 weighted runs created plus. And Charlie Tilson batting 254 with a 318 on base percentage, slugging 322. That's a 74 weighted runs created plus. And I only mention this because Luis Robert is starting to get on fire again in Birmingham. And I want that drum beat to go a little bit louder, Jim. So my bold prediction in September comes to fruition as neither is hitting all that well. Defensively, they're not providing a lot of value. And uh, if this keeps up, Jim, after the All-Star game, we're going to hear a lot of White Sox fans wanting Daniel Polka back uh, to possibly play right field uh, as neither Cordell or Tilson uh, isn't providing much positive value. And we're mentioning these players. Obviously, they're not part of the great next White Sox team, right? They're not going to be. But they're going to get a lot more playing time because of these injuries. So we're going to see a little bit more of them, uh, especially over these next eight games, uh, which obviously is a bit disappointing. But again, this is their opportunity. It is go time for them. They need to start showing better improvements or they could be swiped out for somebody else in Charlotte uh, much sooner. I know nobody wants to consider this, but Adam Engel in June... 287 average, 337 on base percentage, 500 slugging. 23 games, he is striking out uh, once a game, which is usually the thing that sinks him in the majors, but he is actually improving in Charlotte. It's probably the best he's ever hit. That is, the, uh, you know, given that Charlotte is playing with the California leagues, has the most hitter-friendly place. Uh, has a lot to do with that. I'm looking right now his home splits. Yeah, he's batting 190 on the road, 315 at home. <laughs> that sounds That sounds about right. Yeah, 26 strikeouts and 84 at-bats at, on the road. Yeah, it's he's basically a creation of Charlotte, but if you need him to patch a hole for a couple weeks, I could see him coming back here. You don't have to worry about his defense. You got that. Yeah. He's going for the White Sox. Uh, but yeah, to go from an infield of Jose Abreu, Yolmer Sanchez, Tim Anderson, Yohan Makata, to Jose Abreu, Yolmer Sanchez, Luis Garcia, and Jose Rendon uh, is pretty damn depressing. Uh, in these next two weeks. So hopefully, you know, Godspeed, Tim Anderson gets healthier and we see him later in the month of July after the All-Star game. It's not too long of a hiatus. And hopefully for Yohan Mikata, it's just a bruised knee and he'll be back sometime for the Minnesota Twin Series, if not for the entire Twin Series. And speaking of Yohan Mikata, I wanted to touch on a few topics from this Boston Series. For Makata, he batting right-handed, he's getting better, Jim. I mean, season to date, much better left-handed hitter. 307, 364, 556 slugging, batting left-handed with a 143 weighted runs created plus. That is phenomenal offensive stats. Right-handed, it's 274, 312 on base, slugging 411, 90 weighted runs created plus, so he's 10% below league average. Batting right-handed, not as good, clearly, but compared to last year, he finished the year batting 209 
batting right-handed with a 64 weighted runs created plus, and he slugged 297. Are you buying the improvements, Jim? Batting right-handed for Yoan Mikata, and is he easing any concerns that you may have having to switch perhaps during a crucial moment of a game? Yeah, I think right now he's yeah on the right track. I think with switch hitters, especially young ones, we saw this with uh, Yolmer. We saw this especially with Larry Garcia. Uh, just getting the reps at the major league level against the toughest pitching, I think, is very difficult against a hitter who does have a dominant side and a weaker side. And I think with Mankata, you know, a lot of people were, you know, not I wouldn't call him impatient, but just having legit concern that he might never have a good right-handed swing. And then, you know, when do you? wonder if he's going to be a platoon bat or when do you think that he should go with his left-handed swing against left-handed pitching but right now I think he's showing the necessary improvement I mean the numbers you mentioned uh basically like Connor Gillespie's good year uh, I'm looking at Connor Gillespie in 2014 282 336 416 uh if he's Connor Gillespie's good year from his weak side and a an all-star basically from his uh, dominant side that's a good third baseman so I think right now, if he had no improvement from there, that would be playable. You'd have to maybe move him down in the lineup or, or adjust, um, you know, where he's hitting based on, uh, you know, what you want from the top of the order and, and what the better choices are. But I think uh, if he somehow stayed there, that would be fine. And I still think yeah, that, uh, you know, with all these lefties he's facing, he's getting, you know, the, the White Sox have faced a ton of lefties. They faced three of them in this Boston series. I think just getting the reps is what's most important and, and seeing him hit a homer, lift the ball over the monster. His, his right-handed swing doesn't have the natural power stroke, the loft of his left-handed swing, you know, seeing him get that lift and, and put it over the monster. That's a, you know, that's a great sight. And uh, you know, it's worth keeping this in mind as, as he, you know, has these hot and cold streaks with that swing and, uh, hopefully he gets it into you know more of a regular rhythm to where he evens out a little bit and evens out in a good way by actually getting it closer to his uh, lefty numbers, not his uh, uh, left-hand swing numbers dropping down. That would be not good. Right. John Jay. <laughs> John Jay makes a nice first impression this series, Jim. Four for nine with a double, two runs batted in. He walked once and he struck out once playing right field. Uh, when it comes to John Jay, I think our expectation was because of his past that he is a, I don't want to say high on base percentage, but he's average, which an average on base percentage for the White Sox is really high, especially the last few years with their troubles getting on base, that we were expecting him to possibly bat leadoff, but Rick Renteria is having him bat sixth. Are you surprised by that move? Not necessarily this early, easing him back into action. He had 16 rehab games, which is you know a pretty good amount. And, and I think uh, when he was at the end of his time in Charlotte, he was hitting with regularity. But it is major league pitching, and I think uh, they're working him into a routine in the outfield and and you know in the lineup. And he's facing lefties too. Um, that's you know three straight lefties at the Boston series. He really hung in well against them. You know came up with a couple RBI hits uh, against lefties, and that was good to see. Um, but given the the handedness of the pitchers, I think it was smarter to bring them in, in, down in, uh, in the lineup and introduce them that way. And I think they generally like the way Larry hits in the leadoff spot, even though he doesn't draw walks. He does make things happen. So I think they're, they're, they're fine sticking with that. And I think as you see Jay get more regular playing time and as they face more right-handed pitching, they should be able to um, 
I, I think, especially with Anderson out um, and, and having fewer top-of-the-order players, yeah, really it's Anderson, or I, I should say it's Leary, Moncada, and Anderson are really your three choices. And if Anderson's out and if Moncada's got a bruised knee, I think it could see Jay sneak up there. And uh, I think ultimately that's where it'll be, especially you know, should Garcia need games off to uh, hopefully get his legs back to near 100%. Well, I may be presenting you a fourth option. As James McCann needs your all-star votes, remember primary voting ends 3 p.m. Central Time on Thursday, June 27th. So while you are listening uh, to the stream or you're listening to the podcast recording, you could just Google James McCann and you can place votes for him in the all-star game. He's at a tough race against the New York Yankees catcher Gary Sanchez to start the game. Uh, But James McCann is having his worst month of the season. In June, he's hitting 286 with a 392 on base percentage and slugging <laughs> 476 with a 134 weighted runs created plus in the month of June. And yes, this is his worst month of the season to date. And we got this fan question from Eric uh, Johansson from email. And Eric is asking us, is James McCann a good candidate for batting leadoff? I think he has the best on base percentage of any of the regular hitters. And I recall that he's fairly fast for a catcher. Is it worth a try? I, I, yeah, I'm fine with it. I think when it comes to lineups, I tend to be on the more flexible side, like a, uh, you know, I guess that's the Joe Madden school of what the hell let's, you know, draw him out of a hat. Let's have Jose Abreu bat lead off a game just to, you know, shake things up. And, and, and I guess Jim Leyland did this too, where he wouldn't, he would try to change it up enough to where, you know, hitters didn't think that one lineup spot was way more important than another. I think at Leland, when he would uh, bring in guys, you know, from AAA or, or they would come up, he would put them leadoff, even if they weren't necessarily qualified for it, just to, you know, get the uh, jitters over with, um, prove that they were just as good as worthy as anybody else of being in that lineup. And uh, I think there's something to that. So I think when it comes to lineups, I tend to be fairly, um, yeah, I guess, flexible and, and, and uh, you know, don't mind experimentation. But I think, you know, right now where he's hitting um, behind Abreu generally, it's not a bad idea uh, where he is you're providing some protection. Abreu's ha- you know, able to uh, you know have these RBI opportunities, and McCann helps a little bit by you know, providing a threat behind him. And, and I kind of like him, too, as somebody who provides good at-bats after Abreu. Because sometimes Abreu does get a little bit too RBI-hungry. Runner on third, less than two outs. He tries to expand the zone, you know, put a ball in play, poke it to the outfield, get the run home. And we saw David Price just uh, use that against him and uh, started everything outside. And Abreu was trying to take it the opposite way, but it was like six, seven inches off the plate. Couldn't do anything with it. I think he he faced six pitches and all of them were out of the zone. And I think Abreu can do that. So to come back with a McCann then as somebody who has a bit calmer of approach, uh, uh, I guess somebody who doesn't, um, you know, with two strikes on him, he chokes up. He's a tougher out. I don't mind him. Being there in the fourth spot as somebody who provides a little bit of a, um, okay, got past Abreu, but you can't let up, you know, when it comes to pitchers, you know, just provide, keeping pitchers honest, uh, both for facing Abreu and after him, because I think uh, McCann provides some value and some of his biggest hits have come in that role where uh, Abreu doesn't get it done, but McCann's there backing him up. It is just odd having him back clean up though. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with his on-base percentage, but I think given his you know general offensive history, uh, if, if you don't want to, uh, I guess, uh, you know, trust it too much or, or, um, 
I guess, you know, buy into it or at least want to protect yourself mentally against regression, then, you know, it's maybe not worth getting too carried away with that OBP. But, you know, I should say I was looking at his MLB numbers because they have the updated uh, uh, monthly splits with the uh, homer today. He's at 294, 392, 515. So 907 OPS, uh, better than his May OPS of uh, 885. So there you go. May was his worst month. Jim, fact checking me live during the show. Awesome. Um, but the fact that sorry, it's all right. The fact that his his worst month of the season, what was his OPS in May? Eight eighty five. Yep, that's his worst month. He was terrible last year in Detroit. Nowhere near these types of numbers. It is amazing, and uh, I I I think he's going to the All Star game regardless. I don't think he's going to be voted as a starter because of the New York contingency. But what a great first half for James McCann. We're going to be previewing the White Sox twin series as the White Sox come home for the rest of the quote unquote first half of the season before the all-star game with three games against the twins and then three games against Detroit during the week. And then a two game series next weekend against the Chicago Cubs. But before we preview that series, a quick word from our sponsor SeatGeek in an industry that tends to stagnate SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd Why is SeatGeek better than the rest in buying tickets? A quick look at their app store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. And the way that SeatGeek works, they pull together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each ticket on a scale of 1 to 10, and they display them on an interactive seat map. So if you've never been to the venue before, you can check out what the view looks like. And SeatGeek breaks down the details. The green dots mean good deals. Red dots, those are overpriced. You can actually set up pricing on SeatGeek to include fees right away so you don't have sticker shock when you check out. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And I always use SeatGeek to buy tickets for White Sox games. If you don't have tickets for this upcoming homestand, there's some great deals that are going on against the Minnesota Twins. You get tickets as cheap as $15 over the weekend. Tickets are really cheap over 4th of July. The second, the third is a doubleheader reminder against the Tigers. And then, of course, 4th of July, you get tickets as cheap as $11 right now. So for some of you that have that week off uh, because of the holiday, you could definitely take advantage going to SeatGeek to buy White Sox tickets. And if you do, remember, SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first purchase if you use our promo code Sox Machine. So just download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code Sox Machine for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. And as I mentioned, it is time to preview the White Sox and Minnesota Twin Series. The Twins are still on fire. They are currently playing against Tampa Bay at the moment as we are recording this. So they will either be 51 and 28 or 52 or 27. Just an incredible stretch for the Minnesota Twins as they lead the American League in wins. However, in their last 10 games, the Twins are 5 and 5. They are playing their worst stretch of baseball of the season. So maybe just maybe the White Sox are catching the Twins here and it'll be a little bit more competitive than the last time these two teams played in Minneapolis, but again, everything about the Twins this year, it's the offense. As a team, they're hitting 273 with a 339 on base percentage, 
and a team slugging percentage of 504. They've already hit 149 home runs in 78 games. That is a 309 home run pace for the season. And compare that to the White Sox. The White Sox have 88 homers in 77 games, and they're on pace for 185 home runs. So just a crazy difference in power from the Minnesota Twins to the White Sox. And your pitching probables, not much is known right now coming up to this weekend. We'll touch on that in a moment. Friday, TBA for both teams, but that game starts at 7, 10 p.m. Central Time. Saturday, because Goose Island is sponsoring the day, the game starts at 3, 12 p.m. Central Time, so keep that in mind if you're watching at home on TV or you live out of market watching the stream. The game starts at 3, 12 p.m. Central Time. That'll be Yvonne Nova for the White Sox. And on Sunday at 1, 10 p.m. Central Time, it is Lucas Giolito against the Twins. But on the pitching front, Jim, this is a topic that keeps coming up because right now the White Sox only have three starting pitchers, Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, and Ivan Nova. Dylan Covey had a rehab start tonight in Charlotte and it was not squeaky clean. The defense didn't help him and he's Dylan Covey. He's not Dylan Cease. He's not always going to look sharp. But with the way that this is constructed right now, nine relievers, three starters, and we saw this during this week's series against the Boston Red Sox. The bullpen uh, I don't know if they're just running out of gas, Jim, but they're obviously not as effective, uh, especially these three games against the Red Sox, losing multiple leads during these three games. Is are is the concern at its highest peak right now with the pitching staff for the White Sox, and how do you think they're going to handle Friday? Yeah, I think there is some concern. Part of it's you know the, a good offense, and the Twins have one, so I think it's worth rolling that concern from Boston and Minnesota. There's that. I think when it comes to the White Sox bullpen, uh, I wrote about this before with Alex Colomay and how good the White Sox were at protecting late leads and that they hadn't blown a lead in the you know eighth inning and beyond. And, and usually when teams have that kind of exceptional play and luck, you know, they're over 500 and they have a winning record because of that. And the White Sox have been below 500 all season, even with that. So I think, you know, should they have regression in that regard, whether Colomay blowing a save for the first time, you're having guys like Aaron Bummer have setbacks and, and Evan Marshall not look as sharp. Uh, you know, then if any kind of normal regression sets in where they do blow a couple leads in a week, then I think, you know, it, it does have this risk of just blowing up and looking really ugly through no fault of the bullpen, aside from them having uh, a bad time to look normal. So there is that concern that they haven't been outperforming as a team, even though the bullpen, when it comes to leads, has been basically as good as it gets or as good as you can expect a bullpen to be. I guess the good news is with the Twins that they have been banged up. Uh, Buxton's been out. Adrianza has been out. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez has been out. Uh, they're on the injured list. They could return, at least in uh, Buxton's case, he could come back. Um, Adrianza could be back. Uh, Jose Brios had blister issues, and so I think that's why their rotation is up in the air. Um, but I think you know, you'll see some combination of him and uh, uh, Michael Pineda and uh, Kyle Gibson. But I-, I think they are gettable right now, and I think the White Sox offense is lively enough to where they can, you know, like we talked about with Boston uh, before this series, just thinking that they could outslug them one of these games. I think they'll have to do the same thing. But, yeah, it's it's a tough time for the pitching staff right now, and I think the, it might be tough until the All-Star break when they can try to figure out where they're getting a fourth starter from. And then hopefully with that last spot – Turn to an opener. For those that are listening, we do not have new special effects that were just randomly placing into the podcast. 
if you're hearing thunder in the background, this is when the severe thunderstorm is rolling in through Chicago. I did like that one of them happened when you introduced the twins. <laughs> the villains. Yes. Uh, by the way, just got this alert as well as we're recording this. Eddie Rosario has now been pulled out of the game for a lower body injury in the fourth inning against the Tampa Bay Rays. So the twins on the injury front, uh, as you mentioned, Jim, it continues to pile up on them. So maybe this series will be a lot closer uh, than what it looks like on paper. And, and that's what I'm looking forward to out of these three games against the Twins, a much more competitive series for the White Sox. Because the last time these two teams played in Minneapolis, the White Sox lost each game by seven runs and a very easy sweep. So I'm hoping to see that the White Sox win at least one game. If they can win the series, that will be terrific. But I just want them to play much tighter games against the Twins this weekend and just look better than they did in Minneapolis. What are you hoping to see this weekend, Jim? Well, they did so against Boston. Uh, the Red Sox blew them out of the water the last three games, the four-game set in Chicago, and, and the White Sox had a chance to. Uh, well, I wouldn't say they had a chance to sweep. They they lost the lead early on Tuesday, but they were they had leads in all three games. Uh, they blew a late lead in one and uh, nearly blew another one in the uh, other. Or actually, they did, but they, they got it back. But you know, they could have won two out of three, could have even feasibly swept if they weren't going with a true bullpen game. Uh, the offense was there. The pitching staff's a little bit threadbare right now, but uh, I think they're more competitive on the whole, and I think this is kind of what we were expecting maybe a bit earlier in the season to where they could thump with teams even if they would get thumped themselves. Well, we'll hopefully see if the White Sox offense can keep pace with the Twins, but with all these injuries if the Twins offense is not hitting on all cylinders, um, maybe the White Sox could surprise. Because again, this is going to be an eight-game homestand for the White Sox. Sorry, nine-game homestand. I keep forgetting July 3rd. Nine-game homestand for the White Sox. Three against the Twins, four against the Tigers, and two against the Chicago Cubs before the All-Star break. And hopefully the White Sox end the first half on a high note. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. And speaking of first half, if you go to SoxMachine.com, we currently have the survey for you to submit your first half grades for the Chicago White Sox. And that is what we are going to be discussing on Monday as after the Sunday game between the White Sox and Twins will be the halfway mark for the Chicago White Sox in 2019. So Jim and I will be discussing and sharing our first half grades along with your guys' first half grades as well. So if you'd like to participate, go to SoxMachine.com. Look for the first half survey and you can fill that out and we'll be sharing those results on Monday's podcast. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the podcast, you can subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. You can also help support the site and show by going to Patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where you receive additional content for every episode. Uh, Plus, you get an ad-free version of the show as well. So if you enjoy our work and you want to help support us, go to Patreon.com slash Socks Machine and sign up today. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, 
You need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.